Morning, everybody. Nice to see you all. Two apologies. So the first one is from my lovely husband, Sam. Sam and I were meant to be sharing all of the different speaking bits this morning. However, one of the children has decided to vomit. So we had a fast but furious fight about who got to be here and who got to clean up vomit. And I think I came out the better. But it does, it does, however, mean that I do feel that I'm slightly off-footed this morning because we had prepared everything together. So I'll be covering Sam bits, Sam's bits as well. So if I do stumble or anything, then please forgive me. And then I had some very wise words from the lovely Andrea this morning who was talking about um, how she's also experienced recently just a real reminder from God about how when we are weak, his power is made perfect. So I'm expecting transformational things this morning because I'm feeling very, very weak. My second apology is for my odd socks. In my haste to get out this morning, I just grabbed two socks. They're both Leos and they don't match. So just please don't look at my feet. And I've taken my shoes off because I'm hot. Okay. So, all in all, it's going to be a great morning. We're going to start off. We just wanted to kind of talk a little bit this morning about our theme of reconnecting together through mission. But we wanted to do that as a church family because actually... Um, It is as a church family that God has given us the mission to go out and make disciples of all nations. There is no cutoff. It is not reserved for when you reach a certain age and you've suddenly stepped into a certain amount of holiness. Actually, that mission for us to go out of the doors of these church and out of the doors of this church and to start connecting with people outside is for all of us, no matter our age, no matter how long we've been a Christian, no matter our strengths or our weaknesses, no matter if we are single or we are married, whether we have children or we don't, whoever we are. And so sometimes we tend to think that the all-age time is just for children. It is not. It is for all of us together. And what we are going to do, first of all, is I'm going to introduce you to a little thing called Vivox. It's an online polling system. And for one morning only, you are allowed to use your phone in church. So if you have a phone, please take it out. People who are watching at home, you are also welcome to involve yourself If you are someone who has not brought or does not have a phone that connects to the internet, then please do not worry, okay? Please, could you put your hand up or put your phone in the air if you have got a phone? Fantastic. If you do not have a phone, please just move yourself near someone who has, or you can get involved just by watching, discussing, interacting with people around you. You do not have to involve yourself. Now, if you've scanned the QR code, has everyone managed to use that and get onto something? If not, you'll also be able to follow a link in a minute, which will come up. And we are going to use this to discuss together an important question. So you're not going to do this on your own. You need to get into twos or groups. Okay, you need to work together. Find someone who might have a smart device. If not, just discuss it. Yeah. So if you want to use the QR code, you get your, you get your camera on your phone. You scan it, and it should take you to the link. If it's not taking you, please do not worry. There will be a simple Google link in a minute that you can just put into your browser. 
Okay, great. Now the question we are discussing this morning, I know, I know it's very exciting, but if you could just be quiet for a second so I could introduce you to what we're doing. Shh. The discussion was meant to be about the question, not the QR code. So just wait. The the discussion I would like us to have this morning is, who would you choose to be in your perfect world-changing team? You will see there are 20 20 options. You can pick five in your group. And until you lock your answer in at the bottom, you can keep changing them. And as you can see, we've got some votes already coming through. You need to pick five in your perfect world-changing team an av team if we can keep if we can keep scrolling up and down av team so we can see the votes coming in all of them if you're watching at home and you've also voted your votes will be showing up on our screen as well okay you've got two more minutes to cast your votes please one more minute Okay, 10 seconds left. Please submit your votes. Okay, fantastic. Phones down. Please return your phones to your handbag or your pockets. If you're still on your phone, we shall assume that you're buying stuff on IKEA and not actually concentrating. Okay, fantastic. So let's have a look then. As a church... Where have our top votes gone? If you could just scroll up to the top, please. That would be wonderful. Okay, so we seem to have a lot of votes for a doctor being part of our perfect world-changing team. We've got teacher, scientist, farmer, and then if we scroll up again, I think handyman. So they seem to be our top five. If you voted for any of those five and you would like to tell us in a concise way, your reason for choosing one of those five. Please could you put your hand up and I will come to you with the, mi- with the microphone. Anyone? Someone must have chosen them. Yes, Claire. Well, I did tick handyman because I want Jonathan to be a bit more handy around the house. So, <laughs> Excellent. So this is turning into public marriage counselling as well. Brilliant. Anyone else? Yes, Alex. Well, I chose teacher because they can teach people how to do the other stuff, so technically you'll get more. Okay, so teacher can teach other stuff. Yes, John? Well, I picked doctor because if the team gets sick, they're not going to be much use. Very good. Do people agree? Is that why you chose doctor? Yes, Daisy, what did you choose? Um, A handyman because my dad's a handyman. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Personally, I wouldn't want Danny in my team, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) Okay, we'll take one more from back here. Yes, Isla. Doctor, because if people are suffering, there's more people to help. Okay, very good. So Isla chose doctor, because if people are suffering, there's not, then you've got to help them using the doctor. Okay, so if you chose something that's not in the top five, and you have really strong reasons as to why you think someone else should be in the top five, can you put your hand up now and I'll bring the microphone to you? Yes, Lester. 
Uh, I voted for parents, including stay-at-home parents, because I think the way you change the world is from the bottom up and not from the top down. That's a very good point. I've also heard it said that if you want anyone to be involved in a terrorist negotiation, you should use someone who's got a toddler. So, you know, that's a good reason as well. Emily, who did you choose that you think we should have? A musician, because um, they are like, they can help spread the word through music as well. A musician, because they can help spread the word through music. That's lovely. I think we'll take one more. If we've got one more, have we got anyone? Oh, yes, Mins. We went for farmer because we have to eat. Farmer because we have to eat. Short but important. I like it, Mims. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that's really, really interesting. I think what we've seen is that we need a team that works well. And actually, we need different characteristics and skills to help us reach out. Now, God has a mission for us to complete. And if we can bring up our verse from Acts 1, that would be fantastic. And this morning, I'm using the message version We'll wait for it to come up all together. And this is, um, this is actually a verse that I ended up using with um, the youth the other week when we were talking about mission and evangelism as well. And it says this, this is talking about the disciples. It says, when they were together for the last time, they asked, Master, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel now? Is this the time? He told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business. What you'll get is the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world. Now, if we were able to kind of draw that into a visual to help us understand, it would look a little bit like this. It would look like concentric circles. Because what Jesus is talking about to the disciples is he's saying you have different circles of influence And you can start to take that message of Christ out from that. So when it talks about Jerusalem, that's kind of the people closest to the disciples. People who lived a similar life to them. They were devout Jews. They were geographically in the same place. And kind of culturally, they're in the same place as well. And then you start moving out to Judea. Different groups of people, geographically further. You've got Samaria as well. If you think of the story of the Good Samaritan, actually these are people who are completely different. Different cultural traditions, different beliefs, different ways of thinking. And then the ends of the earth. Well, that's absolutely everyone. They're not going to look like you. They're not going to sound like you. They're not going to do the things that you do. They're not going to believe the things you do. And actually, that mission still stands today. That is what we as a church are required to do. That we have the people closest to us, geographically, physically, culturally, the the people who are in our tightest circle, and then we start reaching out further and further and further. And I want you to just think now, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you or in your family groups, discuss with your children about a couple of those circles. So what does it mean to have your tighter circle of influence? And then what does it mean in your life to start looking outwards? So you've got two minutes to discuss that with the person next to you.
Good. Okay, just bring your discussions to a close. If you've not had enough time to discuss, then never fear, because you are allowed to continue talking about things after the service. And we will put stuff in small group notes as well. I think for all of us, we will have similarities and differences in our circle of influence. And that is why Jesus asked us to do it together as a team. Our circles of influence should both be completely unique and independent and also should be something that is like a community that we start to overlap. And when we chose those five different people earlier, that is a perfect picture of what God talks about in the Bible, about the church being like a body, that we all have a different part to play. Okay, we're going to go back to Vivox. You may take your phones back out. We've got a new poll for you to do. The question is, which of these teams do you think have worked together the best? And on this poll, you will only be allowed to select two, okay? So it'll come up in a second. You've got, at the side, you'll be able to see... The link. Okay, hit... Oh. Wait a second. I've really thrown the AV team into it this morning by giving them something they've never used before. Don't worry, it will be on in a second. So if you go back to where the different polls are, if it doesn't work, don't worry, we can leave it. It's not a problem at all. If you go back to the main Vivox screen... There we go. Okay. So you can see at the side, you can just type into your search engine, vivox.app, and put the ID in. Or you might be able to zoom in and use the QR code. I don't know if it'll work or not. You've got 10 different teams there. I would like you to select two. Please select two teams that you think have worked together the best. Okay, you've only got one minute left because you've only got two choices. So just one minute left. Okay, 10 seconds. Submit your answers. Very good. Okay, and then please put your phones back away, please. Thank you very much. Okay, look at this. We've got some, we've got some tight percentages. Now, the favorite here is your family. That's amazing. Isn't that wonderful that so many of us feel like our particular families are work together the best and I think in today's culture actually that can be quite unusual um, and so that is amazing and um, I didn't actually put my family and now I feel a little ashamed um, <laughs> next time maybe I will and then we've got the next highest is the Avengers put your hand up if you voted for the Avengers excellent excellent next highest we've got the paw patrol yes i assume that's the boys down here yes well done the paw patrol we've also got liverpool football club hey charlie's very excited about that now down at the end we've got the simpsons 
That's possibly why I didn't vote for my family, because we're a bit like the Simpsons. We've also got the Conservative Party. Ooh, it's a little bit awkward, isn't it? I think, I think our church is maybe showing how we may vote in future. So this is really, this is just a bit of a silly example and to help engage the kids and the young people. But actually we have loads of examples of teams in our culture, um, all different places, in sport, on TV, in politics, everywhere, in music. And we see examples of brilliant teams and we also see examples of teams that are not working well. We see examples of teams that have worked well for years and years and years and then just one or two things go wrong and the whole thing collapses. And when it comes to our mission that Jesus gives us as a church family in Acts 1, because it is for us as well, Jesus intended us to carry that out as a team. It is not just for us to do individually blazing our own trail. We are meant to do it together as a team. And we're going through a season at the minute as a church of working out how we can reconnect together. The years of um, lockdowns and all the stuff with COVID were really, really hard on everyone. And they were hard for us as a church. Although we still met together online, although there were still things that we could do, we ended up feeling disconnected from each other. And Jesus is calling us into a time of reconnecting. We know that he has a vision for us outside the doors of this church. However, we are not going to be effective in doing that mission or as effective in doing that mission if we are not connected together to be the strongest team. If we were to do that poll and we were to put LBC church family on that poll, would it get 100% of the votes? I don't know right now, but Jesus is asking us to work on that and we need to be obedient to what Jesus asks us to do. And as I said before, that's not just a call for those of us who are adults, who have got jobs, who are this, that and the other. It's a call for all of us, for the teenagers as well, for the youngest children too. We are a team together. Our circles of influence need to overlap. They need to connect. They need to join. They need to fill the gaps. And so finally, just as a physical demonstration of this, I would like us to do a little bit of an activity before John comes and leads us in a time of prayer. Um, I need, over in this corner over here, I need someone who is happy for us to all look at you for a moment. I'm just going to choose Ivor, actually. (laughs) Sorry. Do you mind standing up for a sec? Thank you very much. Those of you who are joining us online at home, you may not be able to see what we are doing, but I'm going to describe it as well as we can. Ivor, would you mind just trying to get out of your seat and going and putting one of your hands on the corner wall, right in that corner, please? Whilst Ivor's doing that, I'm going to choose someone in the corner over here. Who have we got? Oh, we've got James. Hi, James. James, would you mind standing up and doing the same? Just putting your hand on the corner over there. Danny, you're already in the corner for bad behaviour. You stand up and put your hand in the corner there. And over here, we've already got Sophia. Sophia, can you stand and put your hand on the corner there? Okay, great. Sophia, it's a simple question. Can you manage to reach out and touch James's hand right in the other corner? Can you do it on your own? No. Ivor, can you manage to reach out and touch Danny's hand? No? Okay, but... As a church, we can do that together. There is no way that either can reach the people over there. 
There is no way that James can reach the people over there, but together we can do it. So I want to see how fast can we make all four corners of this church reach. So if you're able to get involved, please stand up. For those of you at home, people are moving. They are reaching out their hands. Very good. Fantastic. Okay, when you think that we are all connected, if you can raise your hands so we can see the connection. Okay, amazing. Look at that. Okay, you can give yourselves a clap. You can sit down. Fantastic. Um, adults and any of the older teenagers who may want to stay in later, we're going to just delve into that a little bit more later on, but I'm just going to pass over to John for a time of prayer. Okay, so we've already looked kind of at the practical ways that we can be connecting as a church and then reaching out those concentric circles, those circles of influence. Um, but I thought... Sam and I really felt that God was directing us towards um, these verses in Micah. Um, I feel like the very end of it is um, very well known, very popular to use. Um, We perhaps don't always read the the bit before it, um, but we really felt that God was challenging us as a church to now look. If we know what our mission is to go out, if we also know that God is asking us to step into a season of reconnecting at the minute... Um, and to us, to us to see that reconnecting as a church is also part of the mission that God has given us, by the way, um, then actually there is a challenge for us to examine our own hearts now and just, just check that we are walking the right path that God has set before us. So a little bit of background, thinking of the book of Micah. So Micah was a prophet who prophesied to the people of Judah and Israel about the same time as Isaiah and Hosea as well. Um, In today's world, we often use words such as love and hate so casually. You see those words emblazoned on jumpers. You hear people say, I love pineapples. I hate my old shoes, that kind of thing. But the book of Micah really reminds us that to God, these words, love and hate, are not casual things by any means. We read throughout the book of Micah that God really, really hates sin. His wrath and fury towards sin is all-consuming. His judgment is swift and it is just. We also see that God's love is all-consuming and incredibly real. God is not casual about his love either. In seven fairly short chapters, Micah lays out this true picture of God. He doesn't dampen down who God is. He doesn't fluff him into an easier-to-digest God, but instead shows us that we have an almighty God who hates sin and loves the sinner. The book of Micah also has throughout it prophecies about Jesus, specifically talking about Jesus as Messiah, the one who draws people together, thinking about reconnecting again, gathering them into one nation, saving them and reconnecting them for his ongoing mission. And we spoke earlier, didn't we, with the children and young people in as well, about how um, 
Our church family has been given the, the missional verse in Acts 1, we, we all have, and how the disciples were very firmly in that verse told to stop questioning Jesus as to when he will save everyone and bring his kingdom, but instead to just run with what he's asked them to do, that obedience. Stop questioning. You know, I'm not, Jesus is saying, I'm not a magic genie. You don't get to choose when you're going to rub the lamp and I appear and everything's fine. Actually, you have to wait and be obedient with what I've asked you to run with. And also acknowledge the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given us too. And we recognize this is the mission we've been given. There's no point or hope in us not playing our part in the hope that Jesus will return and sort it all out for us. Instead, we need to reconnect together as a church in order to be a strong, effective team in fulfilling his mission. So here in the book of Micah, this is hundreds of years before Jesus spoke to those disciples on that hilltop. And it's thousands of years before we sit here this morning. But we can still find words of instruction and wisdom that I really believe speak to us today about our need to reconnect as a church and make ourselves right before God in order to effectively carry out that mission laid before us. This book is very clear. Jesus will return. God's judgment will come, but the truth is that his judgment only comes after countless opportunities to repent, to turn back to true worship, to obedience and connection. We know that famous verse in Micah. It says, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Now, I believe, and I'm sure most of you do in this room, if not all of us, that the church has, in history and is today, doing amazing things for Jesus, living out those verses. John mentioned it in our prayer time. You know, we see that video about Dreamland Mission Hospital. How incredible that babies' lives are being saved today, this week, next week, because of the generosity that we've seen in our church. Not just generosity in finance, but generosity in prayer as well, and encouragement to Becky and Mike, who have that connection there. We see that in the um, in more mission information that we get given about these amazing water projects We see it through the groups that are running in our church on a weekly basis, from the coffee morning to holiday at home to the toddler group, all of those things. However, I also believe, I do believe, that we could do so much more in fulfilling the mission he's given us, do do it more effectively, if we start to take these verses even more seriously in how we act towards one another within the church as well as out of the church. When we think of our circles of influence and the people that we have in our life that we're commanded to reach out to, I think we often forget that our Christian brothers and sisters, our family right here in this church, are included in those circles as well. Mike has written these prophetic words to the nations of Israel and Judah to speak to them during that repetitive, forgetful pattern that we all associate with God's people in the Old Testament They worship God, don't they? They worship him, they do everything they can, then they fall away, they forget, they turn to other idols, they sin against him, they sin against each other, they fracture, they forget his grace and mercy, and then when things are at rock bottom, they come back to him again. Ask for his forgiveness, and the whole cycle restarts. And we see this as a pattern of God's people in the Bible, but actually, it's a reality still of us, his church, us as individuals today. 
We too fracture. We forget his ways. We seek satisfaction in things other than him. And then when things hit a rough patch, we often remember and run back to God. So when we look at this famous verse in Micah in context, in the whole passage, we can be confident that God is still speaking to us today through it. And if we could just get that passage up again from verse 6 as well, please. Let's just have it up while we talk. I'm just going to read it out one more time. And I want you to just be asking God, how does this speak to me today? It says, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Now, I, I don't know how Micah wrote these verses. But when I read verses 6 and 7, it does remind me slightly of some conversations we have in our house with one of our children when they do something wrong. Um, one of our children is particularly prone to the dramatic side of life. You'll probably see them receive an Oscar one day. And when they do something wrong and we ask them to sort it out, to say sorry, to move on, if their heart is not in the right place, then this particular someone, I'm trying really hard to not identify their gender, keep them anonymous, they tend to go into the dramatics. They're not ready to say sorry, so they'll say something like, well, I'm really sorry that I did that to you, speaking to their brother or sister, um, I probably have ruined your life and, um, you know, you, you're probably going to hate me forever. So um, I'm just going to give you all of my toys and I'll give you my pocket money forever because that's the only way you're going to forgive me, etc., etc. dramatics. And it sounds a little bit like this here. The people of God saying to him, will you be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I even kill my firstborn son for you? And actually, God turns round and reminds us very quietly that he's already told us what to do. In our house, we say to the children, all that you're required to do is to admit and apologize. Admit what you've done wrong and apologize for it. And God says here, he's already shown you what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly with your God. And it sounds so simple, but actually, I think all of us need a regular MOT of thinking, are we doing this? And we're going to look at these three areas in the context of how we behave towards one another in the church, because we're thinking of reconnecting together. So act justly. What does it mean to act justly? Well, simply, this means to do what is right. This is the first of the three action words in this verse. In the context of our church and reconnecting, act justly. This is reminding us that God's requirement of us is to make fair decisions, to not show favoritism, and to give an accurate portrayal of who we really are. We're talking about integrity here, and someone described integrity to me once when I didn't know what it meant as a teenager, when you're wondering, what is this integrity people talk about? And they described it to me as choosing to live your life in a glass house. That no matter what room you're in, 
people can see that you are acting the same way. So actually, when we work with different groups of people in our church, are we acting the same way? Are we acting with integrity? Moving on to love mercy. The word here, mercy, this is actually one of the Hebrew words for love. It's kesed. It's spelt H-E-S-E-D, if you translate it into English, but it's pronounced kesed. And it's really difficult to translate this into English because there's actually a range of meanings for kesed. You can encompass many biblical words such as mercy, compassion, love, grace, faithfulness. All of these relate to kesed, but none of them completely summarize the concept. I read this week that the theologian John Oswald said, Kesed is, is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. Kesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. It's not just an emotion or a feeling, but just like we talked about um, with the, the last requirement, it is an action. Kesed describes a sense of love and loyalty that inspires merciful, kind and compassionate behavior towards another person. Kindness. We often forget about the importance of kindness, don't we? We talk a lot about it to children. Be kind, speak kindly, act kindly. But we we often dismiss it as a childish requirement. But here we see that it is a requirement from God for us to act like that too. And we're not just required to act it. It says love mercy. We are required to love kindness, love kesed. When God appeared to Moses to give the law a second time, he actually described himself as abounding in or filled with kesed. So that translates in English to us as love and faithfulness or um, abounding in unfailing love or steadfast love, depending on your translation. But the core idea of this term communicates loyalty and faithfulness within a relationship. That is what is required of us in this church towards each other. Loyalty and faithfulness within our relationships. So in this season of reconnecting as a church, we really need to examine our hearts, examine God's requirement of us loving Kesed and lavishing that on each other. It talked earlier about how Kesed is, you give it towards people who don't necessarily deserve it. That's what required of you. So no matter whether you get on with people in the church or not, Each of us are required to lavish Kesed on each other. So let me ask you this. Are we committed to Kesed in the life of our church, in our relationships and our interactions with one another? Kesed surpasses ordinary kindness and friendship. It is the inclination of the heart to show amazing grace to others. Kesed runs much deeper than social expectations. It runs much deeper than fluctuating emotions or what we deem to be deserved or earned by recipients. Kesed finds its home in committed, familial love, and it comes to life in our actions. I believe that we already have so much Kesed in our church already, and I believe that that is an amazing witness to those outside the church. We'll come on to that later, a couple of conversations I've had with people recently. But I also believe that God is challenging each one of us this morning, myself included, Sam as well, as we prepared this. He is challenging us that we need greater kesed in this church. We need to love that kindness that we lavish on each other, that loyalty that we lavish on each other. 
So we've had to act justly, love mercy, and finally walk humbly. Now, to be humble is to put others before yourself, not to pursue the limelight or accolades for your personal gain. I feel like humility in the Christian experience is a really desirable quality that is sought by those seeking to follow the ways of God over your own plans. Walk humbly. We're called to journey in the ways of God. The verb walking draws on the reality of humility being an ongoing struggle. Lots of us have step counters, don't we now, on our phones or on our watches where we get to track how much walking we do throughout the the day. Wouldn't it be amazing if you could have like a little spiritual step counter as well that gets to track your humility throughout the day in everything you do? We have a daily choice to place ourselves in his hands and in reality, we need a daily point of repentance when we get it wrong as well. I think the only thing about humility that can become a struggle when we think about connecting God's church together in its mission is when people misread humility as self-deprecation or as a reason not to step up. We're not intended to be doormats. We're not intended to place ourselves flat on the ground, don't speak up, don't do everything because you think that's humility. A great leader once shared with Sam and I that true humility is in fully knowing who you are and acting in the fullness of who God made you to be. You know where you are in position to God. We're much lower, much lower. But we also recognize that we have Christ in us. We have gifts. We have talents. We can step up. When we discussed the circles of influence a while ago, we're recognizing the unique situation each of us have. However, if we're acting in the model of humility, then that view... And in that we view stepping up as prideful or selfish, then we might actually be inadvertently hindering the work of the kingdom. How many people have we got in our church who are gifted in worship or prayer or kids work or outreach ministry? And yet a misguided humility is hindering them from fully stepping into who they're meant to be. To quote Aslan from the C.S. Lewis book, Prince Caspian, he says, you doubt your value don't run from who you are. Humility as we connect together requires all of us to know who we are and to not only run away from it, but also wholly embrace it. We need to run away from those parts of ourselves that are prideful and think ourselves better than we are, but we also need to run towards who God made us to be. So those three things When we practice these requirements within our church family, we see three great outcomes. I believe that we become more like Christ. In acting upon these requirements, we build that muscle. I believe that our church family will become stronger, more loving, and that no one will get left behind. I believe that if we get into that culture of kesed, that honor, that kindness, that loyalty, we become stronger. And from that, our mission to the ends of the earth becomes far more effective. Just a couple of um, stories we've had recently of people who have come into our church who are not part of our congregation who have seen this. 
We had a lady um, recently who um, has taken over the running of the toddler group on a Tuesday. There's a toddler group on a Tuesday that's not actually run by the church. Our church run one is on a Thursday. It's an external toddler group and the people who were running it are no longer able to do it. And two mums have stepped up and said, look, this group serves the community really well. Um, It's very popular and so we're going to take it over, which is actually a very big undertaking when you've also got children as well. And one of the ladies in particular, she came and said to me the other week, she said, I've never known a church like this. She said, just the help that we've had in us arriving on a Tuesday and the toys have already been set out for us. Or the fact that you've been willing to work with us and how we can pay for the rental of the room, but do it in a way that doesn't make us completely broke straight away. Um, And the offers of people who are happy to come out of the office doing their normal work on a Tuesday and instead cook toast in the kitchen because one of the children, one of their children needs a nappy changing and they can't be in there or whatever else. And she just said, everyone seems so kind. I feel like everyone loves me and I don't even know them. And she said, I've not been in churches that have done that before. And I apologized. I said, well, I'm really sorry because that is what everyone wants church to be like. Actually, that is, that is our mission as a church. We also had, um, I think we've shared this before, but a few months ago, Sam's school that he works at in Warrington, um, he works in quite a deprived area, and they decided to take their children on a trip around the dam. Um, And they just needed somewhere that they could use for all the children to be able to go to the toilet. And they sat on the grass outside and had their picnic lunch as well. Um, And the teachers bought them all a nice lolly as well. They had a lovely time. And the teachers were absolutely blown over. They said... They said, is something else going on? Is there another trip? And Sam said, no, why? And they said, well, it's Monday and people are going in and out of the church. Like, what's that about? And Sam explained, our church is open every day. People are in and out all the time. They couldn't believe that they were allowed to come in and use the coffee machine. And Sam bought them more coffees. Just simple stuff like that. They were amazed that we have office staff who leave the room to come and ask who you are. Why are you here? What can I do to help you? Just two small examples. I know that all of you will have more examples because the areas that I work in in the church are different to yours. But I also know that there are hundreds, thousands more in our community that don't know that and don't see that. And if we start doing those three requirements, if we start acting on those three requirements even more in our own personal lives, in the life of the church to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, then how much more will this message of who Jesus Christ really is is spill out of our church into the community? I've finished everything that I've prepared, but um, I just really feel this morning when we were praying in the prayer room, I was just reminded that in in the Old Testament, when God's armies went into battle, their front line um, was always the worshippers. They sent their worshippers first, um, even before the fight began. And I I just want to completely hand over to you guys this morning, if that's all right. And we're just going to end our service um, with a time of worship. Um, And I just pray that you would have really soft hearts this morning, that you would ask God what he is challenging you on. Um, We've heard what he requires of us. Are we acting upon that and if not what areas do we need to act upon what areas do we need to repent 
What areas do we need to ask God for his help?